0: Hey, everyone. It's Tom Kratza. And on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with a good friend of ours, a mentor of ours, Rob Minton. If you've not heard the name before, Rob really inspired us to create Rockstar Real Estate in the manner we did it because he was running something similar in the U.S. And we reached out to him. We asked him a bunch of questions. This would be back in 2006. um, and, And we were so kind of enamored with the idea of using real estate licenses to help investors. We drove down to Ohio and to learn from Rob directly how he was in working with investors we brought up all those strategies into the Toronto area and have been running with them ever since so we owe a huge debt of gratitude to Rob we've remained great friends over the years and on this episode of the your life your term show we catch up with him we talk about life and family we also get some updates uh from him about the U.S. market, what's going on in Ohio specifically, how he's looking at properties. And interestingly enough, he had a bunch of questions for us because they've had a bunch of appreciation in the last year that they haven't had that much appreciation on an annual basis in quite a while. So he kind of redirected things back at us and had questions for us on how to handle appreciation when you're not used to getting it. So that was interesting. So just a great, great chat. Love chatting with Rob. I think you'll enjoy this discussion. And if you are listening to this and you want to get some information from us, we have an app now. that we're constantly constantly developing. So even if you have the first version, we're about to unleash an updated version of it. If you are looking for the app where you can get access to a lot of the material that we put out, whether it's the video, reports, books, different articles that we have, podcasts like this are available on that app as well, you can go to ylytapp.com. That's ylytapp.com. The Y-L-Y-T stands for Your Life, Your Terms. See what what we did there? Your Life, Your Terms. It's ylytapp.com to get the Your Life, Your Terms app. It works on iPhones and Android. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live
1: life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Terms show
0: with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with the one and only Rob Minton. And I say, look, look, I know you don't like it when I introduce you like that, but it's true. Not only is it you are the Rob Minton, you're the Rob Minton. And the reason I introduce Rob with such passion as the Rob Minton is he's probably sick and tired of Nick and I telling him this. But he has been a massive influence in our lives. I'm never going to forget, Rob, when we were in Ohio and you took us all out for some mastermind meeting because we were all joining in on the income for life stuff that you were putting out at that time. And you shook our hand in the parking lot and you said something along the lines of like, yeah, I think some of this stuff can work in Canada (laughs) and uh, let's see how this goes and it'll be great. You know, it was like just this kind of generic, like kind of handshake. I, you know, this will go well, but meeting you, uh, you know, if, if those of you listening who don't know Rob, Rob has been a mentor to us and uh, hugely impactful uh, uh, on our lives and, and Rob does not take praise well. So this is, it make, <laughs> makes me like to do it even more. Um, so Rob, thank you for doing this. I have a bunch of questions for you. So appreciate it. You're welcome. And uh, just before we get started, for those who do not know you, can you give us like, I don't know, the two or three minute journey of maybe can you start at that, uh, the bocce ball in the park when you were (laughs) playing bocce ball and someone told you, you know, uh, um, they're in charge of your life or something like that. Like, how did you get to this point of your life? Just as a quick summary, because a whole bunch of people are not going to know your story. Can you give a little bit of your story of how to how you're doing what you're doing today?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. That a, I can't believe you remember that story. Um, so I was I was working full time as an accountant, a, a CPA. I hated my job. Uh, I bought a house. My wife and I bought our first house, and I got became friends with my broker. He was like a great guy, and he was investing in real estate, and he lived this really cool lifestyle. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get my real estate license. I'm going to I'm going to sell real estate. I want to be like him. So I get my real estate license, and he becomes my broker because here in the States or in Ohio, as a new real estate professional, you have to have your license with the broker. So he's my broker and um, he starts referring some of his clients to me. So I'm I'm doing well in real estate, but all my sales really are referrals through him. And so this one day we, you know, beautiful day, we go out golfing. And then after we have a couple of beers on the golf course, and then we go to a winery, the golf course wasn't enough way to stop at a winery. So at the winery. They have this beautiful bocce and We're playing bocce and we've had a bottle or two of wine. So we're pretty drunk at this point in time. And I'm finally beating him. This guy's super competitive. Like he destroyed me at golf, but I'm winning in this bocce match. And he got so pissed off. He's like, you know, who changes your kitty litter? He said something to that effect, <laughs> like basically saying, like, who gives you every single sale that you have in, in for real estate? And, uh, you know, I got really pissed off and like the next day I went and did the paperwork to start my own brokerage. And as soon as I possibly could, I started my own brokerage and I left his firm. Um, didn't talk to him for several years, but we, we finally be, got back together. We're friends now, but like in hindsight, it was probably the best thing he could have said for me, because how long would I have stayed in this situation where I was just using his referrals to to sell real estate. So it was a good, it's those defining moments where it changed your life. So it was like funny that you remember that story. But he said, who who changes your kitty litter? And that was, I'm like, you know what, he's right. So <laughs>
0: Those moments, those frustrating moments, can I I I I I love frustration because it it gives you the energy to make some change. You know, like I just looking back in my own life, every time I've been frustrated, it's ultimately led to something good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, like it fuels this desire for revenge, and that desire for revenge like pushes you out of your comfort zone. You know what I'm saying? Like you want revenge so badly that you'll you'll face your fears. You'll do everything that you wouldn't have done you know, before. So, so it know, sounds it was, so
0: bad to say it that way, but you're, I true. guess that's right. I guess it's that's right. True. I always want to think we live by these beautiful higher principles, no. but sometimes you're just driven by revenge.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I just wanted to prove to him, you know, that he didn't change my kid later. And it's just a real funny second part of that story. So, he also owned a printing company. And uh, as my real estate business grew and I opened another business or two, we were doing a lot of printing and I was referring a lot of printing to his business. And so at a certain point in time, I was driving most of the revenue in his printing business. So I was changing his kitty litter. I never called that out to him. I never brought it up, but, but I did ultimately get my revenge
0: quietly so yeah you're you're a good person you're you just kept that in your back pocket you kept that one in your back pocket. okay so then you live through for those of you who don't know rob lived through the epic financial crisis and housing crisis. Don't, i don't know why i'm laughing and chuckling i guess just because it was so epic of 2008 um but then how did you get to write the cash flow nair newsletter the book and what you're doing now With, why are you doing what you're doing now and can you just describe the the membership that you have a little bit?
1: Uh, sure. So, you know, at 2008, 2009, I had a very large portfolio of uh, rental properties. I own commercial properties, residential, apartment buildings, manufactured homes, and um, I had a real estate brokerage. So I was all in on the real estate market, real estate market crashes and every single thing I owned suffered. My businesses suffered, my investments suffered because I wasn't properly diversified. And, and back then I was way over leveraged in the States before 2009, 2010, you could basically buy investment property with no money down. So, you know, you you have, you have all this debt properties drop 50%. Now you're, you're really in a bad financial situation. So, um, you know, I went through all of that. Lost several properties, had several foreclosures, <coughs> strategic defaults. So, you know, I did I did the best I could to try to I'd offer properties back and whatnot. But if I couldn't give them back, then I went through foreclosures. So all of that taught me lessons, and it basically taught me not necessarily to invest for appreciation because you have no control over market values, but to invest mainly for income or cash flow. You know, cash flow you can pay bills with, cash flow you can use to buy new assets appreciation, you can't really pay a bill with an appreciated asset unless you borrow against it or unless you sell it. So it, it taught me another really important lesson is be very careful what your main goal is because um, that goal can actually make your life better or it can create a problem or two in your life, you know?
0: Yeah. Looking back, I'm just thinking about it. Looking back now though, you learned, so you survived that and it's led to some cool stuff that you're doing now. So ultimately uh, that I'm just struggling saying what I'm about to say, because that was such a bad experience to go through. I don't know if you want to go through epic things like that to, to then reflect back and say, well, ultimately it was positive because of this, because that one was like, huge. it took
1: took a while to get to that. I mean, it, it, you know, you know, like if you read all these books of biographies and and books on building businesses and you talk with entrepreneurs, you know that you're going to get knocked down at some point in time. Um, so you, you kind of think, okay, when I get knocked down, I'll get back up quickly and I'll get back to it. Well, it took me several years to get back up. Like I, I got knocked down and I started reading all these philosophy books and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I went to this whole frugal movement, the fire movement, where I just, I tried not to spend a penny, you know, I, I went through all this stuff and it took me a while mentally to get back to the point where I could get back up, dust myself off and get back in the game uh, again. And, so I, I, I was embarrassed and, um, you know, all those negative emotions. It, it wasn't like- I,
0: You were embarrassed, eh? You were embarrassed. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, you feel- Your intent like was pure. I mean, we know yeah, your but, intent was pure. I well, mean you
1: feel at some level like a, a fraud. I don't want to know if I say fraud, but like, you know, you're writing books on investing in real estate and how to build wealth and then the market crashes and then you feel like, oh my sh-
0: you know, Yeah, like, you let people down.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. You just feel like, okay, you know, my advice wasn't—I was giving people poor advice. I, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing it intentionally, but indirectly, my advice led to financial challenges for for some of our clients. So,
0: and then, so now, what are you doing? So and you're doing many things. Like I know you're doing many things. I guess I'm talking about cash flow. There, just you know, I, I respect your writing so much. I just want you to explain what it's about.
1: So I ended up starting, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing before the crash was I had an Income for Life membership, which you and Nick were part of. Um, and in that membership, I was basically sharing things I was learning, books I was reading, investments I was making, why I was making them, mistakes I've made, lessons I've learned. And um, so I, I kind of now had the freedom after the crash and after I went through the mental recovery, like what can I do now? My main goal is cash flow, not appreciation. So I was like, you know, do I start a new business? You know, can I start another real estate brokerage and build another big brokerage, or do I just build a small positive cash flow business that will, you know, support my lifestyle but give me complete freedom? So I just said, you know, why don't I just start a membership? Uh, I called it cash flow and air because that was the shift in my mindset, and it was similar to income for life, but it was more about investing for cash flow. Um, I hate to say this, but living life on your terms, <laughs> which you guys, when you, when you call rockstar, rock star, I was like, what the hell? But now I'm like, damn, that's the best. I want to be a damn rockstar. So. I remember
0: when you told us that you're like, guys, don't that, listen, where are you coming from with that name? That name.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like, go. you know what?
0: We are such nonconformists. I think that's one of your, I want to talk about some of your principles here, but yeah. Nick and I are just built. Like someone tells us no that, Oh, you said no. Okay. <laughs> All right. that's And I go guess, go. Rob, we meant it not from you. It was more we knew the industry in Canada was going to think like, what's this rock star real estate? But to us, that was our heart. That was yes. we are doing this because we're trying to create our own rock star lives and with the people we work with. So it was like it represented something bigger than the brokerage. But I know the name sounded aggressive. Yeah,
1: no, and I I didn't. When you first mentioned the name, I didn't see that or feel that from you guys. I certainly do now, and it's it's a, uh, um, so so hats off to you on the name, on the business. On yeah, everything. no, thank
0: you, thank you. But keep going. So then, you, so then you're writing this newsletter, and you have a, a cash flow business on this newsletter, and you're also sharing real estate strategies that generate cash flow for you in the newsletter.
1: Yeah, things think the same exact principle where I'm, you know, things that are working, things that aren't working, mistakes I've made, bad investments I've made, you know, things I've missed out on that I shouldn't have missed out. Like, you know, hey, I've learned a lot. I'm still learning a lot. Can I share those lessons with other people so that maybe they don't have to make the same mistakes that I've made, which was kind of the underlying principle of the whole new membership anyhow, because I made so many mistakes prior to the crash. But I didn't. I wanted to try to help people avoid those mistakes um, if something like that were to happen again.
0: So, in the latest edition of the newsletter, it feels like you've come to another realization. And it's really interesting because Nick and I came to something similar um, in the last few years, I guess, that you invest for cash flow, but then you build up a certain amount of cash flow. And it's almost like it gives you the opportunity to then invest in other things. And there's this one part of this newsletter, it says, um, this shift has come because I realized I have been too conservative with how I've investing, how I've been investing our monthly cash flow. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Where where are you coming from with that? Because that's a big thing coming from you. Well, you
1: actually started this shift, by the way. Is uh, you had recommended, and I, I can't pronounce the gentleman's name, but you had recommended a video. What was the guy's name Raul Powell? yeah Raul uh, yeah. R- R- Powell? Be. Yeah. So I watched that vision or that that video, and it he was talking about how the world is really becoming more of a digital world, where you know physical assets and physical businesses are all now in this conversion to digital assets and digital businesses. And so after watching that video, I happened to read through the Forbes annual List of billionaires and uh so i'm looking at the t- i don't remember the exact number but i'm looking at the top 10 wealthiest people in the world and uh, like 60 or 70 percent of them built their wealth and fortunes through tech in some fashion tech was a major part of like bezos I mean, a tech is a major portion of his wealth so then i am like yeah, oh, that's interesting so then i kind of went back you know and in in that note that warren buffett is down several spots and he's famously non-tech. So then I went back, I don't know, three or four years, maybe five years, and I looked at the Forbes list then, and I noticed that back then it was maybe 40% of the top wealthiest people were invested in tech. And I went back and I noticed it was 20%. So I started to notice this trend, and it's just in the top 10 wealthiest people in the world, that more and more wealth is coming from tech. So. So I'm like, you know, this is a trend that I would be silly not to pay attention to. So, you know, prior to your video that you recommended and going through this whole thought process, I was pretty much all invested into cash flowing assets without any concern whatsoever for appreciation. So the shift was, uh, you know, once you kind of get your financial base in place where you have time freedom, you can then, or at least for me, I'm now investing a portion of the cash flow into tech related uh, investment opportunities. So it was just, you know, I realized I was making a mistake, not participating in that, you know, and I left a lot yeah, of money. That's on interesting. The
0: table. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And we all look back on on different things and say, wow, we could have made, made a lot of uh, great investments if have, if we had done something. But I think it's important the way you're framing it. I love it because we you have to invest in cash flowing assets when you begin, I feel. Because that gives you protection. And, and you talk about having fuck you money, which I love. You have that video from I forget what movie I always forget, but The Gambler, <laughs> where you know, you want to be in that position where you can just tell everyone to fuck off. And that's, you know, yeah. you're gonna live life as you please. And I think cash flowing assets give you that ability. And it's why we've also pushed cash flowing assets. Maybe it doesn't give you that ability because the cash flow can take some time to build, but it, it helps you survive the ups and downs of an economic cycle. Let's put it that way. So to us, we've always encouraged people to buy cash flow and build cash flow. But then you do hit a point if you do it long enough, successfully enough, where your world does open up a little bit and you can make some strategic decisions into other things.
1: Well, the cash flow compounds, right? And it gets to that point. The first goal, at least for me, was I want the monthly cash flow from our assets to offset all of our living expenses. Because then you're you you have time freedom, right? You don't have to work, and that you could say f you to whoever someone offers you a job, and you have the ability to say no if you. And I think that control is very very powerful because most people are dependent upon a paycheck, so that dependency takes away choices. Uh, So yeah, so that's the goal is get to the point where you have your living expenses offset. Then as you increase your cash flow further, then you can choose to use that additional cash flow in any way you want. You can increase your living expenses. I don't recommend it. You can invest it. You, You know, you can pay down debt. You have all those choices, but make you can invest in tech just make covering your living expenses the primary initial goal because it gives you that financial base is is really the idea that I'm living with
0: yeah um i i that um that laser like the 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 laser like focus to build that has been uh, it's hard you know it's hard to maintain it um but uh, but if you can pull it off uh, building that base of assets to give you that freedom there's nothing like it you know um Anyway, I'm I'm just reflecting on some some of my own experiences. Sorry, I was going you, down. This you guys
1: have done it. have done it. Yeah, right?
0: just yeah. It's tough. Steps, it's tough. It's tough. I'm just thinking about what everybody goes through to build your cash flowing asset base, the failures that you have to have, the hard work, the struggle. <laughs> You know, so it sounds so positive all the time. Hey, buy cash flowing assets. But even as real estate investors here in Ontario, look, we've benefited from this monetary policy here in this area. Well, Rob, you and I have talked about like, hey, the Toronto real estate market's about to collapse. And that was probably in 2010. Yeah, <laughs> you <know? it's> <laughs> we, com- we had a few like, oh yeah, it's, it's probably due. You know, we're due, we're yeah. due. Um, we didn't realize the central bankers would just like print more and more and more. But but uh, But to buy a, your first rental property, and survive it, dealing with the tenants and the repairs and and having no extra money in the bank account To cover any furnace that breaks down. So I'm just reflecting on everything that we all go through. But if you can survive, if you can lower your time preference enough, and you talk about this a lot, if you can lower your time preference uh, a lot and like sacrifice today to build for the future, it is a beautiful future. If you can get
1: better every month, right? It's better
0: every month. And and as you said, the years compound. And I think Nick and I didn't really realize it, right? Like I'm 48 now and Nick and I have both been buying real estate since we were in our 20s. And so we kind of operated in this mindset for the first 10 years that we have nothing because we had nothing. (laughs) Right. <laughs> you know but it actually helped us because we refinanced when we could but we didn't actually always refinance because we were busy trying to create cash flow in other areas that ultimately lent a rock star like we ran out of money to buy property we met this guy rob minton this guy rob minton says hey you have your real estate license you could probably help investors and we're like yeah that's what we're thinking too um so we try this thing out and it grows into something else and then you kind of just work on that and you forget some properties that you bought in your 20s now nick and i look back and we have a I have a few properties we haven't refinanced in, I guess, over, over a decade. And we're looking back on them going, Holy shit. And just because we've been busy. So it takes time, but, uh, you get through it. Anyway, I want to ask you about some other stuff. You have these, um, cash flow near principles that I love and you have 20 of them, but it's, it's interesting, Rob, when I was going through them, the bottom 10 hit me harder. And maybe it's because I've been following you for some time and I know your top 10. Um, w- I want to ask you about some of them. Number, you know, number 12 is we handle problems quickly by taking massive action. Why did that make it to your list? Where is that coming from? Number 12. We handle problems quickly by taking massive action. It it came
1: because you know, for myself and I've watched it happen in many other people that a problem will happen and you put it off. You put you ignore it, you put it off and problems don't go away right when you ignore a problem it magnifies it it compounds it gets worse and it becomes more expensive and it becomes more challenging you know uh and so since that's the case you can mitigate all the extra costs and worry and effort and whatever you have to do to fix the problem by acting quickly while it's still a small problem you know Uh, A great example would be of a a tenant and the tenant is not paying properly, right? You act quickly, you act decisively, you evict the tenant, and you don't play any of these games where, okay, you could, you know, if you do this. So the longer (laughs) we've played
0: Nick, we've all played those games, right? More me than Nick, because I would always buy into people's stories,
1: right? I would explain
0: to Nick, I would like defend tenants to Nick, like, oh, Nick, they didn't pay, but you know. The car, they had some repairs and they're doing this and they're doing, but they said they're going to pay in two weeks. So I just said, I'll follow up then. Then you forget and a month goes by and then, you know, they're late with the next month and it just builds.
1: So now, now they owe you two months rent. <laughs> and now your house is probably in a little worse condition than it was, uh, you know, a couple weeks earlier. So it, that's that idea connects to everything. It connects to business. It connects to relationships. If there's a problem in your relationship with your spouse, and you don't address it quickly, it will get bigger and bigger. So it's, it's just one of those things that it's a, it's a good rule to live by because it will solve, it will help make your future a little bit better.
0: Number, number 17, I have a question for you on it. It says, opinions do not matter. Not anyone's, not yours. Facts matter. Actual results matter. Almost everything we hear is an opinion and we accept those opinions as fact. This is a costly mistake how do you protect yourself from falling back into the trap of believing people's opinions? And how do you distinguish between, you know, what is an opinion and what is fact? So I guess my first question is how do you protect yourself? Because it's easy, I think just to, you know, hear something and say, okay, yeah, I should invest in this or I should do this. Is there a mechanism you have? Like, is there a process you go through or is it just an unconscious thing at this point?
1: Well, you have to try to catch the, the, opinion, and ask and and challenge it, like, is this true? Is this true 100% of the time? Is this true 50% of the time? Is this true 25% of the time? So, you know, back when you were in, in school, not everyone, we were all in school, they say, you know, the way to be successful is you go to university, and you get a good job, and you save a portion of your salary. And if you work hard, you'll be able to retire and live happily ever after in your 60s. Like, Is that fact or is that opinion? Is that true for everyone? And then you start to look at the statistics and that most people, at least here in the States, they don't have enough saved for retirement. So that isn't fact. So then you just, you you basically question it. Is that true? You know, the whole, you have to work hard for money. Is that true? Does everyone work hard for money or do some people not work a lot and have a lot of money? So you just have to question everything, you know, is that true? And if you have the ability to test it out in some fashion, test it out. But question everything is really what it comes down to.
0: That's interesting because what you talked about investing in some technology now, that wasn't your game before. And the mm-hmm. way you tested the opinion, just hearing you answer this, is you went back to the Forbes list and you looked at the list five years ago, you looked at the list today, and you're realizing, wow, some some people who are involved in tech are actually moving their way up the list. You know, Yeah.
1: Well yeah, one way to do it is like watch and pay attention to smart people, right? I'm certainly n- nowhere near the smartest person in the world, but I can watch and observe smart people and watch their actions, not necessarily what they say. And so, you know, the Forbes list is great because it offers you immense study. You can, you, ha- you hear an opinion, go look at the Forbes list. Does that opinion ring true in what you're seeing in the Forbes list? It's, it's a way to test what you're hearing to see if it's accurate.
0: Why did you add number 20? It says updated principle from April, 2019. We can have everything we want in life. If we help enough other people get what they want. It's a quote by Zig Ziglar.
1: Because I, I believe it's true. You know, um, uh, You know, we have been, we were business associates years ago. We, we don't really do, we don't work together business-wise, but we have stayed friends. So you have helped me and I've tried to help you. And um, it's this whole, like, it's almost like the mastermind principle where, you know, you help someone else, it comes back to you in some fashion. So it's just, you know, when you, like for my, for the business, for my cash our membership, the idea is I want to try to help other people. And, As I help other people, I add value into the world and that value comes back in some fashion. Um, Plus, it feels pretty good, right? When you help other people, it just it it makes life a little bit better. So I think Zig's principle is dead on. I mean, it it helped me when I first heard it. And then I kind of lost sight of it after the market crash. And I was focused I was more selfish, focused on myself. And then I started to think about
0: it. what, what, What do you mean by that? You were focused on yourself. You were just like, I'm going to protect my assets that I have now. And I, I need to take care of the family first and forget everyone yeah. else. Like,
1: yeah, well, like, I'm, like, I don't, I, you know, I, I could just invest in these assets, m- make this cash flow. I don't have to worry about anybody else. I don't have to help anybody else. I just stay in my lane. Um, so you went and, into a
0: protective shell almost from yeah, feeling you like for- you were letting people down. Now yeah. you're like, forget it. I'll just, I'll just put a, a like a, a shell yeah. around me and and hide a little bit
1: yeah yeah and and it's 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 a selfish if you have the ability to help other people or add value to the world and you're not doing it on some level you're being selfish you know you're so the membership gave me the opportunity to try to help other people so you know i think he's right you know the more you help other people and i'm not saying you have to help people for free that's not an accurate thought you know you certainly if you're able to add a lot of value you should be able to charge for your services but it's just keep keep that idea in mind because it's accurate, I think.
0: Yeah, we were scared to to ask for money, I think, until I got into sales. Nick was maybe similar. I think we grew up in a family that, you know, salespeople were liars and 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 cheats and there to rip you off and it was like the slick salesman that you always had to be worried of and i think our fam you know our parents had some maybe bad experiences in canada when they arrived and bought some things from people they shouldn't have bought and just had a
1: like,
0: yeah. yeah and uh so it took us a while to get comfortable with that i i think the book that helped me out most with that was do you do you know the author Stuart wild how to write um Stuart Wilde, he, he's like this metaphysical author. He wrote he wrote some like books that were like way out there. I remember reading them. He was like way out, but he wrote he wrote one book um, said, and the title was uh, "The Trick to Money is Having Some." Yeah, I I, I, I have the book. I oh, okay, okay, okay yeah. yeah. So you know the so, and he has a line in that book. It's always stuck with me. I haven't read the book in probably twenty years, but the line in the book said something like, "When you raise your energy high enough." people will show up. And when those people show up, it's a fair exchange to ask for money at that moment because you're you're offering value. You've raised your energy high enough. You're offering enough value that people are kind of knocking at your door. And it is a fair exchange to ask for money at that moment. And I remember reading that passage like 10 times because I thought, is it really fair? Like, can I ask people for money? And I was really stuck on that. But that book really helped me get through that. And it was that line for whatever reason. And I know that seems silly, like raising your energy. <laughs> like it was well, just,
1: it sounds so crazy. Well, I mean, you, you, it depends on how you define energy, right? Yeah. But uh, when you give away things for free, you're creating a lose-win situation. The person you're giving to wins, but you lose. So you, that's not sustainable because at some point in time you're going to be like screw this it's take or take or take you know. so at some point it has to be a win-win situation. So if you're adding value, then the only way it's win-win is as if you're getting compensated for the value that you're that you're offering. It has to be a win-win or it's not sustainable.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think then now in my mind lot often how I justify Different things that you know we're getting paid for is that I need to get paid in order to keep offering value to other people. Right. If right. I don't, like you said, it's a lose-win situation. So I need to get a monetary kind of reward for the services that I'm offering in some capacity because I can't keep producing new value to help people or the person that's buying from me the first time without a monetary exchange. And uh, yes, for a lot of people, I'm sure that's not like difficult, but for me, it was, I was stuck on it for so long. No, I, um,
1: I was too. It's hard to get, if you're stuck on it, it's actually hard to get through. So.
0: Yeah. 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 Now I think, and after dealing with rental properties for so long, that also helped because I learned the lesson that if someone's offering you money, you just put it out your hand and you take it no matter what, you know, no matter what. Because if, if, before I think I, I turned down some rent. If someone said, hey, I have partial rent and, you know, I'm like, oh, no problem. Don't keep it until you have all the rent and pay us next month. Now someone says, hey, I have partial rent. My hand is right out. No problem. Yeah. Put it right there. I'll take it. 20 bucks. Thank you very much. That's yeah. no problem. 20 bucks. That's enough for now. I will yeah. take the 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have your house. So it's a win-win. If it's you a win-win. Yeah. Out. Yeah. You yeah. Can. Now I fully any, any amount, any amount. Yes. I accept money. You put out the right. money. I ask for money and I accept money. That's the yeah. way it works. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, the rental properties definitely help. Um, there's a, the number, number 19. I wanted to, that's the other one because it's bolded. Our overriding goal above all others is peace of mind and happiness Rob, this is a tough one. Why is this one bolded? Why is this one bolded?
1: And it, it kind of connects back to that scene from The Gambler. So if you haven't seen this scene, go on YouTube and Google Gambler, uh, like Fortress of Solitude or something. I can't remember. Just, you'll find this Gambler scene. It's John Goodman's character. So you watch it. But he's talking to John Goodman's a lone shark. He's talking to a guy who wants to borrow money to to go gamble. And, you know, Goodman says, you, you know, do you have the brains to walk when it's time to walk? You know, basically, do you have the brains to take your chips off the table when you have the opportunity to take your chips off the table? So that's kind of the underlying idea. And the problem is, is that we all suffer from greed, right? We always want more, 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 more. And at some point you have to say, okay, no more. I have enough. I'm going to take my chips off the table. I'm going to buy time freedom. And then if you want to use your time freedom to do other things, that's fine. But I talked to so many people, they want, they have a great business and they want to start another business and they want to do this and they want to do that. And I'm just like, you know, you got to dial that back just a little bit, right? Enjoy your life. Cause you don't know how long you got. So why, Why add more and more and more when it may not add extra value to your life? That's, that's kind of, that's the idea behind that principle.
0: Yeah. I love them. Okay. So what about now the real estate market in in Ohio or the U S Ohio? What, what are you, where are things at? Like, I don't know how closely you're paying attention to local real estate, national real estate, but what, where are we at in the U S do you feel property prices are, um, you know, headed up from here, based on what you can tell our rental properties, getting tenanted. Can you just give us an overall view? Cause I think in Toronto, we're only like four and a half hours away from you, but it feels like another world. So like, oh. what are you seeing just in general, just for someone in Toronto who doesn't, yeah, it is another world, Rob, for sure, <laughs> because we can't leave. If we leave our country and come back, we have to hide at home for two weeks where you don't have to do that.
1: We have no so. restrictions in Ohio anymore, which is nice. But uh, so, so oddly enough, since the pandemic, the real estate market throughout the United States, including Ohio and Cleveland, which usually is not a very uh, exciting real estate market, has we we have had significant appreciation. The number of listings on the market is very low, so supply is low. Demand is super strong. Interest rates are obviously super low, so homes have appreciated. Um, significantly. And there's multiple bids on on property. So we're now experiencing a little bit of what you have experienced for the last 10 or 15 years. So, and then the same thing on the rental front, there's not as many rental properties available. So demand for nice rental properties is very, very high. So rental rates are also higher. So it's certainly been a good time to be a real estate investor. But I do have a question for you related to that. So you guys have experienced, you know, you've bought properties ten years ago. Those properties have increased in value significantly. So they've now tripled. Today, they've
0: tripled. Tripled. Tripled.
1: So now today, when you are ready to invest, is it hard for you to invest at today's higher price points, considering you, that you have bought properties at lower price points in in the past? How do you how do you mentally get around the higher price points where you don't feel like you're necessarily overpaying? Because this is new to me, this appreciation. That yeah. So I'm like, yeah. oh, that, that's way too
0: expensive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's yeah. overpriced. But in reality, it's probably not overpriced. But uh, how do you get to that point?
0: Yeah. Okay. I'll discuss it. And I'll never forget because when we were buying properties and we starting out, we were buying them like single family homes, kind of west of Toronto for 205,000. And then prices went to 235. And a couple members of our team back then were like, Tom, this is it. We're done. <laughs> we can't we can't <laughs> yeah. make these properties cash flow and they're not going to appreciate further and you know that's it i guess it, it's been a good run and let's just back <laughs> it up <laughs> and we, we fought know. through that and we and we were like every time it would go from like 235 and then the property would be like 249 and we were like oh, holy smokes what are we going to do now and I guess the the biggest thing, and you know, those properties now that were 205 are like $650,000, uh, 700000 oh It's crazy. What the biggest lesson we've learned is that, for, and, and by the way, before I answer that, every Rockstar member who we've worked with, investor who's bought in 2007, 2008, 9, 10, they have those feelings that you just described. If they're back in the market now, they're like... Wait oh, a no second! Way. I'm not gonna buy. I'm not gonna buy this property. I bought that property 000. for 250. Yeah, right. I'm getting ripped off. Yeah. That's, and you're 100%. telling me I have to go higher than list price because there's four other offers. I knew you guys were a scam. I knew it. It took me 10 years. We're like, no, this is just the state of the market. You know, don't buy it if you don't want to. Don't right, yeah. buy it. Okay. Don't.
1: There's 16 other people that'll buy it. Yeah. So don't yeah. It.
0: Don't. Yeah. yeah. Don't. Just do what you want to do. <laughs> but it's, it's newer investors. They're easier to work with because they have no context in it. So we can person. look at the numbers a little more clearly and kind of make some decisions on that. But the way, what we've learned over the years is, you cannot trump monetary policy. So that if you and I think an asset is high or overpriced, what happens if a centralized system and a group of very small individuals say, well, you know what? Interest rates are are, are fixed rates right now, Rob, for a a mortgage, fixed rate mortgage, not a a variable. I don't know if you guys have the same terminology, but a fixed rate is like 2.1%. Yeah. What happens if tomorrow the Bank of Canada says, you know what? That's too high. We're going to make it 1%. What happens to the cost of money in that scenario? The cost of money decreases. Right. When the cost of money decreases, hard assets that are more scarce go up, not because the real estate has changed. Not be, and, and it's, it's because the, 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 the value of the dollars have gone down. And it's the hardest concept for us to try to explain to people. We're like, listen, you're right. The prices are absolutely insane, but stop trying to evaluate it based on that's a ripoff or not a ripoff. Try to evaluate it based on where do you think the trends are headed over the next 10 years. If we have this much debt and we have this much more debt coming I agree. Let's all agree. It is a rip off. Let's all agree. Rip off, (laughs) rip off. But if there's mountains of new debt coming, what is the value of the dollars in Rob Minton's pocket going to be 10 years from now? And then tell me what the price will be for that real estate. And if you can make that mental shift, which is admittedly difficult, difficult to make. And then on t- the way we've tried to do it so that we don't have to go down that path with investors, because it is difficult, it, it, it is an advanced way to look at things for sure. We try to find all the cash flowing opportunities we can. So, for example, a single family home in this area, we would rent out by itself. But then the municipalities, because there's a lack of housing around here, because our population just continues to explode. That's a fundamental here, Rob, that we have, like it just, we just get people, okay? So then we thought, oh, why don't we just legally duplex these, I don't know the language, we have like a legal ability to put an accessory unit in the basement. Right. And if we do that, instead of getting $2,000 a month in rent, we can get like $3,600 a month in rent. Now, the cash flow story holds. Yeah. And we're like, is it difficult? Yeah. Do you have to hire contractors? Yeah. Do you have to get permitting? Yeah. Does it kind of suck? Yes. Yeah, but, but you have what this hard, you, you you have have this hard asset, what else are you going to do? Right, so yeah. that And then and then it's taking us down to passive student rentals because we can get student rentals to kind of cash flow. And then as you build your portfolio, then maybe you'll turn one of your duplexes into just a single family home rental because rents have gone. What we've noticed over the years, Rob, is that people who bought properties four years ago and they were barely breaking even rents loans. have gone up. Yeah. And now if a tenant leaves, they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm cash flowing. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm cash flowing. So that property that, that you totally ripped me off on five years ago, <laughs> <laughs> you ripped me off on that property, but now this is a beautiful cash flowing property. Yeah. And we're like, yeah. so the biggest thing I've learned in my life is you follow the trend. When I was, when I was working, I left at um, a Royal bank of Canada because software was exploding and the pay that I was going to get in software completely outpaced and outmatched what I was going to get in the banking sector because it was tech. Right. And that trend elevated me. I did really no different work, but I rode the trend. And then, and then I went into like cloud computing job and cloud computing took off and I rode that trend. And then the trend was real estate for reasons I didn't initially understand, but it was monetary policy was changing. So you ride that trend. And now I love the way this guy, this guy, gentleman, Greg Foss has become a really good friend of ours. He lives here. He's a, he's a, he's a bond trader for 30 years.
1: I listened to at least one of his podcasts, With okay. You. Yeah. He's passionate. He starts
0: pinging on the desk, like for your kids, you must do this. Buy Bitcoin. Um, yeah. 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 He's, he's great. He's great. So he explained it really nicely. And I love it and stuff we've touched on, but I love the way he explained it. He said, look, globally debt to GDP is four to one. We can all argue if it's 350% or 400, you know, but roughly it's four to one. If the, numer- if, if, if the debt is growing at, at, at 3% because there's interest on it, you know, so overall, you know, it might be less than 3% on some debt, higher on other debt, but on average, let's average. say the debt is growing at 3%, the economy must grow at 12%. In order to keep the same ratio of four to one, if the economy does not grow at 12%, the ratio is going to expand, meaning that the debt against measured against the GDP, it's going to be more than four to one. And then when I I hear it that way, I'm like, well, no economy is growing at 12%. Like if we get 3% growth in Canada, everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's amazing, right? So how are they going to get 12%? they're going to have to push more money into the system. So there's more dollars to count. So it seems like it's a bigger economy. By doing that, the valuation or value of the dollars decreases and the value of scarce assets goes up. So this is what I have to remind myself at all times to answer your question of like, in Ohio, do I think the American dollar, like you guys increased your M2 25% last in the last 12 months since COVID started 25% more dollars have been put in the system in one year yeah and Uh, is that trend going to continue or not and to me I look at Joe Biden I look at some of the green initiatives I look at some of the stuff going to come yeah yeah, the the new green deal or whatever and I'm like man the Americans are going to print more Canada's going to copy this trend's not going away we have a joke here that real estate we had this student, one of our student rentals, Nick and I, that we've had. We bought it at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and we 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 laugh because we we thought it was a ripoff. I always blame Nick. I'm like, Nick, you told you told me you're always better at negotiating. You totally ripped us off, man. That property was like it wasn't worth a dime more than two twenty five. Now it's worth like, you know. Before I tell you what it's worth, we always said when property started appreciating around two fifteen to the year two two thousand fifteen, we said if that property ever goes to a million dollars, we'll know the world has lost its mind. Like we will, that will be proof. That will be proof. If this student rental, it's a hundred year old property, by the way, a hundred years old. Okay. If this ever goes to a million dollars, it's lost in mind. It's currently worth like 850. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. So it's current. And so, and, and, but then we extract, we said, you know what? We always underestimate our future. If we get a calculator out and we put in 850, actually, I'm going to do this right now. If we get 850, Rob, I'm supposed to be interviewing you, by the way. So
1: well, I'm very good at flipping the table. Yeah, yeah,
0: I know. Yeah, eight fifty. If I do six percent appreciation, because we've had six percent here for like thirty years, and I do it for ten years. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That eight hundred fifty thousand dollars is one point five million. And if I do it for another ten years, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, it's two point seven million. So like, are we headed in twenty years? for this student rental property that we bought for 250 to be worth 2.7 million. And I would argue, Rob, I know this sounds crazy. And this is where someone listening might think, okay, Tom finally has lost his mind. (laughs) I'm like, no, you know what? Unless there is some major change in the way the dollars are. I I don't know. I think we're kind of headed on. I might be off maybe uh, half a million (laughs) here or there, but I kind of think history shows we're on this path. But the yeah. cash flow will protect us. So buy for cash flow, buy for cash flow. And when, when you build up enough cash flow, then you can speculate a little more, buy some other things, but originally buy for cash flow and let all the stuff that I just explained take care of itself. Because if it goes wrong, it's going to be ugly.
1: Yeah. It, yeah, it will be ugly. But if you have cash flow coming in, it really doesn't matter if the value changes. So it increases or decreases. The cash flow is the key. So
0: just hold. So when, when you hear me say that, like you know, that was a long answer to your question, but when you hear me say that, what 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 goes through your mind?
1: Uh you like, do you think
0: lose- like that's just insane? You know
1: well, it's a little harder for me and folks here, at least in Ohio, to to you know, jump on your conclusion simply because we have not experienced that appreciation, right? Uh in my area. We really didn't have much appreciation from 2010. I mean, we had appreciate like market values recovered from the crash, but we didn't have significant appreciation. Uh, we now are experiencing that, and everyone feels that it's a bubble, right? So because
0: because you're using 2008 as your context,
1: that, that's why we're anchored back at these lower price points. But what you're saying makes perfect sense because that's what's going to happen. Um, I don't believe we're in a bubble simply because our lending uh, has not was not is not similar to what it was back in 2008 and 2009 you know you still have to be able to be, qualify for a mortgage these days so so there um so it's not like we have all these unqualified people who purchased a bunch of homes so no I think you're right and in, in my head I'm starting to think man I I need to like cuz I have zero debt on any of our rental properties I'm like shit I need to go start buying stuff
0: with mortgages you know so it's such a mental because you've been through 2008 it's like if they're going to solve the debt problem with more debt (laughs) you know what I mean it's like if they're going to solve they have a debt problem the only solution they have because they're painted into a corner when I say they I mean the central bank bankers are going to issue more debt then isn't it wise to have debt because it'll look smaller and smaller against the asset that goes up at, in, in price. But, right. but then there's that dangerous thing. Like we barely survived 2008. Can, can we do it? Well, and it yeah. I, I'm,
1: I'm now too conservative with that, right? I have zeroed leverage on any of my properties. So that's far too conservative. So I need to rethink that based on the trends and what's actually happening. And well, I don't need to go out and take on a ton of debt, but Maybe some debt would be helpful in, in terms of growing our portfolio of assets. So just and some- it's
0: also, also why we like to have some things that I would call out of the system, the things that have no counterparty risk. So it used to be gold for us. And I still own gold. Um, but more and more, it's become Bitcoin because I'm like, okay, this is a little bit of a life raft over here because there's no counterparty risk to this. Right. You know, it is a, you know it's a bearer asset. There is no one, when I buy a stock, I kind of have to assume the company's going to be around for the stock to have value. When I buy a bond of that company, I have to assume the company's going to be able to buy that bond back. A bond of the country, same thing. Right. But a bearer asset, the gold is the, you know, the shiny metal. The, the, the Bitcoin is just math. There is 21 million. I own this percentage of right. this thing. I love that. So like, to me, that is Nick and our, that is a little bit of our security of that's out of the system. So if we're going to take on more debt, we better add on assets that are not in the system just in case. And the just in case for us is the credits if the banks stop lending. Because we know the government will keep printing and the central banks will keep printing. But if the, th- the only threat we can come up with is that do people stop lending here in Canada? Because unlike Ohio, Rob, we really have had a massive population boom mm-hmm. here.
1: Well, we have, they're, all, they're all wanting to leave now after the COVID restrictions, but. Uh.
0: Yeah, I know you're right. Canada, forget this place. Um, no, but amazingly, Rob, people are still coming. <laughs> um, it's like, you can't stop it. People are going to come to Canada. That's yeah, the way it works. It. And, and we have no supply. It's like the, 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 our leaders here in this country decided to increase immigration in, in a pretty big way about 2015, but no one communicated that to like the municipalities to allow for more housing. Life. So I mean, we just had this like, shortage. Yeah, we had supply actually went down of single family homes, Rob, over the last 10 years as a percentage against the population, uh-huh. our, our supply of single family home. So that's why we have, so we have these fundamentals that are in place here and monetary policy that have just made things kind of bananas. And now we understand it better. Yeah. You know, but uh, I want to ask you something. Um, interest rates. What can you guys get rates f- uh, for, like fixed rates, or roughly? Like it doesn't have to be 100 percent accurate. But what are you getting a rate, a, a mortgage for on a on a rental property? If you had to guess,
1: I, I honestly, I, I honestly don't know because I I'm not I'm not borrowing. You know. Yeah. yeah. You have no debt. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Rob, but-
0: here's your homework. After this, you go get yourself some debt. I can't believe I'm saying this. So dangerous if someone doesn't I, know if us. I had
1: to, if I had to guess, I would say for an investment property, it'd probably be four or five percent. I would guess. I don't, Okay. I
0: don't know. Yeah, we're always lower than you, so it doesn't surprise me. So if yeah. you're if you're four to five, like we are getting fixed rate, our terms are only five years. We can't get a thirty year oh, term great. like you guys. Um, but yeah, we're getting like two point one to two point five or so.
1: It's yeah. it, well, considering inflation, it's free money, right? I mean, it's. Yeah.
0: Once you make that mental shift, that when you take inflation into account that that's free money, you know, it's crazy. Um, And then something else that always comes up that I'd like your opinion on, if there is a real estate correction, what happens to tenants? um, And I've asked you this question before, but I just like to ask it because that's everyone's concern. Like if the real estate market goes down, oh my gosh, I'm going to have vacancies in my, in my properties. What is your current thinking? Has it changed? what have you seen? Anything you can share just on your thinking or thought process when there's a when there's a real estate crisis of any sort? What happens to uh, tenancy?
1: Well, I obviously cannot forecast what will happen in future, but I can tell you what happened in 2008, 2009, 2010. So as people were, walking away from their homes, homes that they owned <clears throat> because the values had fallen so far and they were underwater. They walked away and and let their homes go in the foreclosure. All those people needed housing. They, can't, they couldn't qualify to buy another house because now they have a foreclosure on their credit report. So the crisis significantly increased the demand for rental properties, which is something that I didn't really think about prior to the crash so that actually leads me to a mistake that i made because i was watching the values of the properties and you know when you're down 50 percent you're like screw this i'm i'm done with this so that was a short-sighted mistake because the demand the income was still strong the income was actually increasing because as this demand for rental properties increases you can increase your your rent rental rates so um a crisis where people are moving out of homes and can no longer buy increases demand significantly. So you know it's a, it's a, you just hold, just hold.
0: What do you um, think about when it comes to your kids now that are a bit older for their lives? Like what, what do you think about the world? How are you trying to think about all of this with technology, Bitcoin now, your past experiences? how are you and I'm just thinking out loud, cause like I'm having similar, you know, debates in my mind, like, how do I prepare my kids for the future when the future looks like we're going to go through a weird time? What, what comes to mind for you?
1: I think you should, well, what I should just speak for myself. What I'm trying to do for my kids is what I think is best for me and my wife. Right. So if, if buying a residential rental property is good for me or us, then it's certainly going to be good or better for them. So um, it's, you know, using what we know to try to make their futures better. So buying income producing assets for them now, um, you know, we know these are the probably the most, if they give us time freedom, then you can theoretically buy time freedom for your kids by buying and giving them income producing assets now. So it's, it's thinking, trying to think accurately long-term, not what opinions are coming in. Oh, you got to go to this prestigious university. You have to, is that accurate? You know, is, is every kid that goes to this prestigious university, do they have ultimate success? So you have to, you have to question everything. And usually what's best for you is also what's best for your kids.
0: Yeah, I like it. Um, And and something that I think we've taken a lot away from you has been your time preference talk always like sacrifice for today, for the future. You've always threaded that through all your writing and and teachings, newsletters, everything you've done has there, whether you've known this or not, I've always taken that away from you that to achieve something good in life in any way, health, financial relationships, there has to be some sacrifice today for the future, and that's something I'm trying to teach my kids. That, like, yeah, you know, um, you can buy a new car with some of your savings, however, if you delay that gratification and you get a rental property, this is making it seem like my son doesn't want a rental property, he does, he wants to beat his uncle and get it younger than when his uncle because Nick got his first at 21 and he's on this path. To, but, but that's the discussion, it's like. Why? And I feel lucky that my son at at this point, he's older. That's why I'm talking about him. He has that understanding. He's Mm -hmm. like, you know, don't spend the money on something to, to make you happy today, sacrifice today and get an asset that can benefit you in the future. And I think this whole concept of having a, a low time preference in a lot of your decisions and not have immediate gratification is the key. I'm trying to teach my kids about everything,
1: well, two things. One is if if you could get them to truly understand the concept of compound interest, that concept is, can apply to everything, right? It applies to your health. It applies to your skill set. It applies to investment. It applies to everything. So if, if you can somehow get them to feel, truly feel the power of that, then it allows them to leverage it now, right? You, if you understand compounding, then you profit from time. And if you don't understand compounding, you, you, you actually are probably losing money as, as time goes on. So, and then the other thing is, is that, you know, sometimes you have to let your kids learn for themselves, right? You gotta let them make their own mistakes. My youngest daughter just graduated from high school and I wrote her this letter and I'm like, just go mess up, I got your back, you know? it's one of those things. So you, you,
0: Oh man, that's like, that's one of the best gifts you can give her the, yeah. the second part of that, that you have her back yeah. giving her the permission to kind of go mess up. And that's something I I struggle with too, because I don't want to be so regimented that like, you have to do this, this, and this, this is the way you're, you're right. You have to kind of let them explore. Yeah, my older
1: daughter, you know, she still has her first dollar that she earned whenever at the age of seven. And she, you know, she's so she thinks so far in the future and I have to try to argue with her to actually spend a little bit on herself and enjoy herself and the other daughter spends the money like as soon as she gets it so but it's just like listen you're young I you're not supposed to have it all figured out right now go you know go do what you need to do and you know we'll get through it all like heck how many mistakes have I made right so if if I knew now what I knew then it'd be different, but you know, you, you learn through mistakes. So.
0: Rob, if anyone wants to find out what you're up to is it, what, what is it, what's the best way right now? Website.
1: Uh, well, you know, I have a book called the cash Air plan. If someone wants to get that, it, they can go to freeinvestingbook.com and uh and you know, just pop your email in and, and you'll be able to get the book and that kind of shares my story and how I shifted and what I've learned and you know, in and, and if that's helpful for someone, then that's super. But it, it's kind of the history of what I went through and the lessons that I learned and the changes I made from the lessons that I learned.
0: Yeah. And something I just appreciate about your writing is you write so differently than we write. It always gives me a new way to look at things. So I appreciate what you're doing and and just know that you're having a big impact on on people. So you are living up to the updated principle from 20 we can have everything we want in life. If we help enough other people get what they want, you are helping people. I know you think I'm cheesy. When I say this shit, I know you think I'm cheesy. Nick thinks I'm cheesy. Sometimes when I say this shit, I believe it. It's true. Someone needs to tell you, Rob, someone needs to tell you.
1: Thank you. I I, I'm (laughs) I'm good at giving. I'm very poor at receiving. So, uh, yeah, but yeah. Thank you very much.
0: So the book is freeinvestingbook.com. There's going to be a ton of value for you in there because that's the way Rob rolls. So Rob, thanks for this, man. I really appreciate it. I love uh, I love catching up and just talking about various uh, subjects. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. I, same here. I man. I love talking to you too.
0: Hey everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Rob. If you want to get information from him, you can get a free access, free copy, sorry, a free copy of his book, The Cashflow Nair Plan at Cashflow Nair. That's a takeoff millionaire. See what he did there? Cashflow So it's cashflow and then Nair. N-A-I-R-E dot com. That's cashflow dot com. If you're driving around listening to this and you want a link to it, you can always go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash podcast. And in the show notes for this episode, we will have a link to cashflow dot com there. And if you are listening to this and you want to get our app, you can get that by going to ylytapp.com. That's ylytapp.com. And right in the app, you'll have our podcast, the latest Rockstar videos that we put out there, articles, reports, free copies of our books, everything that we're doing. If you're a member, if you're a Rockstar Inner Circle member, you can actually log in and get access to the member-exclusive material there as well. And we we'll are keep loading up more. Version 2 of the app is coming out soon as well. So you can get that at ylytapp.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.